Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. During World War II, London experienced repeated bomb raids known as the Blitz. January 12, 1945 brought yet another, leaving buildings destroyed and many lost. Irma was the service dog for the civil defenses of London, and on this day, she used her ability to determine whether a victim was dead or alive to help save time and lives. With Irma's help, 191 people were rescued from the rubble. On September 11th, guide dogs Salty and Roselle remained by the side of their blind owners and guided them down 70 floors and through debris to safety. They then assisted other people caught in the attack and led them too to safety. In 2012, toddler Alita met the newest member of their family, Mr. Gibbs. Alita was born with a rare condition that makes it difficult to breathe and most of the time she needs to be connected to oxygen. Her family wanted her to have the freedom to play and be with peers, and thanks to Mr. Gibbs, she is able to do that. Mr. Gibbs stays by her side, toting her oxygen tanks. He follows her as she runs with her friends and even goes down playground slides with her. In 2015, Antonio was riding in the back of his parents' SUV as they traveled to a family dinner when a man fired bullets into their car and hit Antonio in the head. He was 12 years old. After the shooting, Antonio went through five brain surgeries and endured migraines, balance issues, and seizures. Antonio was paired with service dog Alice. Alice has alerted him to every oncoming seizure he has had since getting her. Alice also assists with his balance and accompanies him wherever he goes. Because of Alice, Antonio is able to do the daily tasks that would otherwise be impossible. And he's giving Antonio a new chance at a new normal life. Irma, Salty, Roselle, Mr. Gibbs, and Alice join a big crowd of incredible service dogs. Currently, there are about 200,000 registered service dogs working in the United States. Service dogs help with many different physical or mental impairments that limit major life activity. Service dogs serve many, many different needs. Guide dogs act as the eyes for a person who is blind and can lead them around. Hearing dogs alert people with deafness to important sounds. Mobility dogs can pull people in wheelchairs, assist people who struggle with balance, 
or help those using walking devices. Medical alert dogs can sense some medical issues and alert their humans it's time to medicate or can go for help when a medical event occurs. These dogs have accomplished quite the feat. 50 to 70% of canine candidates for service dog positions fail somewhere in their training. They continue to be incredible dogs, but are not able to become service dogs. It takes a minimum of 18 months of training for these pups to become service dogs, and it costs about 20 to $30,000 to train a service dog. Humans waiting for a service dog usually wait about three years to be matched. Some dogs have been frontline workers during the pandemic. A photograph of Dr. Susan Ryan being comforted by Labrador retriever Wynn went viral. I slid down along the hospital wall and Wynn just laid there with me, Dr. Ryan said. We find such comfort in getting to pet her. It grounds us and reminds us that we are still connected. Therapy dogs, unlike service dogs, were not allowed in most hospitals during the pandemic. So many therapy dogs went virtual. Bailey, the therapy hound, worked with hospital staff to do virtual visits to the families of nurses and doctors, trying to provide comfort to families under great distress, worrying about their loved ones, Bailey makes me feel happy, said the seven-year-old daughter of a hospital doctor. I work as a hospital chaplain, and one of the best parts of my job is being one of four handlers for Bob, our hospital service dog in residence. Bob is a service dog trained not to serve an individual, but trained to serve a hospital community. Like many of us, Bob works Monday through Friday. He is trained to comfort and support patients, families, and staff. Bob belongs to our children's hospital, but we are very lucky that our pediatric staff and leadership share him with the adults. Bob comforts those in distress and assists staff in teaching children about different medical procedures and devices. Bob works alongside chaplains, physical therapists, occupational therapists, child life specialists, and music therapists to support individual patient needs and to deepen their care. Bob is by far a celebrity at work and everyone's favorite coworker. It takes about 20 minutes to travel anywhere because Bob, because everyone wants to meet and visit with Bob. Bob now has toys and treat jars on just about every hospital unit, and he has over 3,000 followers on Instagram. Handling Bob has been an incredible education. This has been a painful two years for so many reasons, and there's been a lot of talking. Opinions and lectures and arguing seem to erupt again and again. In this time of hearing so much from one another, I thought I would share with you the silent, powerful lessons I've learned from Bob. 
Lesson one, give grace. Love and care do not need to be earned. When I speak of grace, I am speaking of unmerited love and mercy. Giving unmerited love makes sense for us when as Unitarian Universalists, we believe in the inherent worth and dignity in all people as one of our guiding principles. I've known Mary Oliver to be called a Unitarian Universalist saint and have heard her poem, Wild Geese, shared so many times in our services. There's a reason it is so popular and so relevant. It is so wise. Oliver tells us, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. Bob does not need you to be good. Bob does not need you to repent. Bob does not need you to earn his love in any way. He doesn't even need you to give him a treat. It does not matter to Bob what brought you into the hospital. It does not matter to Bob what you do for work or how well you get along with your colleagues. All that matters to Bob is that you're here and you want to see him. There's a common saying attributed to Ian McLaren, many of us have heard. Be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I think most of us try very hard to remember this. I often believe that Bob knows this. How easy is it to give grace how often do you receive grace? How often do you witness grace? And how might grace affect the world for you and for those around you? Lesson two, trust your instincts. In my handler training, I learned different commands and guides for working with Bob. And then I learned that if Bob is acting unusual or is very insistent, the best thing to do is to listen to him and to follow his lead. One day we had a very full schedule and we're off to visit a patient who is waiting for us. We jogged down the hallway to a unit that Bob knows well. As we passed the waiting room almost at the unit, Bob froze and would not move not with gentle pleading and not for a treat. I sighed and as I was trying to figure it out, I heard a soft cry coming from the waiting room. I went in and saw a woman hugging her daughter who looked to be about 12 and was crying. I took half a step towards them and Bob immediately went to them. I'll call this pair Daisy and Michelle. As Daisy and her mom petted Bob, they told me how Daisy's dad was in the ICU and not doing well. They were waiting to see him and were scared of what they would see. Bob did not leave their side until they were being led onto the unit. Bob checked on Michelle and Daisy the next two days until Daisy's dad, Danny, died. After Danny's death, Daisy asked if Bob could come with her to say goodbye to her dad. 
By this point, Daisy and Bob were good friends, and Daisy trusted Bob in the sea of adults and machines. Bob helped Daisy through these unbearable days. Had Bob not stopped and refused to move, we might not have met them. How do you relate to your instinct? Do you feel it? And do you trust it? Has your instinct supported you? Has it protected you? How might your instinct guide you? Lesson three, you don't need words to express love. When we think of dogs speaking, we think of the barks that we can't translate into English. As part of Bob's training, when Bob has his vest on, he has been trained not to bark. In English or canine, Bob does not speak. And yet, Bob is able to leave patients, family members, and staff feeling loved with no words. So often, those who feel this love most deeply are those who do not feel love easily. A young patient died after a week of fighting an illness. The patient's mom wailed, then screamed, then leapt onto the floor where, con where she continued to, to scream in anguish. Concerned and compassionate staff tried to comfort this mom that I'll call Anya, but she only screamed louder. Anya had met Bob when her son was first admitted. As Anya lay screaming, Bob came up to her, then laid beside her, resting his head near hers. Bob was unflinching as she screamed and cried. Bob showed Anya his love by being beside her in the pain and in the discomfort. No words were needed. How have words taught you love? How have words kept you from love? What actions would help you express the love you feel? And how could you show love without speaking? Our final lesson from Bob, lesson four, take breaks. Hospitals are not a place where it is encouraged or easy to take breaks. But no matter how high the demand is for Bob, Bob needs to take breaks. Bob takes many breaks throughout the day. He rests on his pillow or in his doghouse. He goes to the local park or runs around on the playroom, playroom deck. Bob lays on the cool floor or snuggles with his plushies. We are required to make sure that Bob takes breaks because we know that Bob cannot do his important work of giving grace, trusting his instinct, and giving love without taking many breaks. How often do you take breaks? How do the people around you feel about taking breaks? How do you feel about taking breaks? 
And what would a break look like for you? You deserve meaningful breaks and many of them. May you give yourself permission to take them and may you make it safe for others to take them as well. When we gather again in person, I wish I could bring Bob with me to each service to give you a chance to rest in Bob's care and to learn Bob's lessons from him. But I hope that you've been able to at least rest in what Bob teaches. May you give grace and receive grace. May you trust your instincts and may your instincts bear fruit. May you show love and be shown love. And may you take many, many breaks. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart. Our benediction comes from Mary Oliver's poem, The Sweetness of Dogs. What do you say, Percy? I am thinking of sitting out on the sand to watch the moon rise. It's full tonight. So we go and the moon rises. So beautiful, it makes me shudder makes me think about time and space, makes me take measure of myself, one iota pondering heaven. Thus we sit, myself thinking how grateful I am for the moon's perfect beauty, and also, oh, how rich it is to love the world. Percy, meanwhile, leans against me and gazes up into my face as though I were just as wonderful as the perfect moon. Let us keep this faith and carry it on. The service begins where the service ends. Amen. Where you go, where you go, I will go, beloved. Please visit ASCBoston.org 
for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.